Howdy do, I'm James Baquet, also known as the Temple Guy. Back in episode 056, we visited the Nanhai Guanyin area of Putuoshan in Zhejiang province. Let's continue that day's touring and drop in on Huiji Temple, the third of the 142 key temples I visited in China, in this episode of... Temple, temple The day after I left Hangzhou was spent getting to the mystical Isle of Putuoshan. This entailed a short ride in a gypsy cab from my friend's house to the port at Beilun in Ningbo, a short ferry ride to Zhoshan, and a long bus ride across that island, or so it seemed, and then another, snazzier ferry across to Putuoshan itself. And it was worth it. As I've mentioned, this is one of the mountains, in this case on a small island, dedicated to the four great bodhisattvas we met in episode 046. Recapping, these are Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, called in Chinese Guanin Pusa and in Japanese Kanon Bosatsu, Kshitigarbha Bodhisattva, called in Chinese Dizang Pusa and in Japanese Jizo Bosatsu, he's honored on Zhohuashan in Anhui, see episode 015. Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, called in Chinese Pushien Pusa, and in Japanese, Fugen Bosatsu, he's honored on Wutaishan in Shanxi. And Manjushri Bodhisattva, called in Chinese, Wanshu Pusa, and in Japanese, Monju Bosatsu. He's honored on Ermeishan in Sichuan, the only one of the four mountains I haven't been to yet. Putoshan would be a paradise even without the heavy Buddhist presence. Golden sand beaches, pristine sea views, no private vehicular traffic, and a mountain, which will climb the easy way, pretty soon. I caught a short ride in a hotel shuttle from the ferry landing to the Purple Bamboo Hotel, named for the same plant as the temple in episode 056. The staff there were incredibly friendly, despite the language barrier, and immediately dubbed me the Meiguo de Milofo, the American Laughing Buddha. I had booked through C-Trip, a travel service that bailed me out many, many times, but here I managed without their intervention. I took a stroll that evening, mostly on a boardwalk over sand, all the way to the central area around Puji Temple, which I wouldn't be visiting until two days hence. I even caught views of the Nanhai Guanin, or South Sea Avalokiteshvara, which I would visit the next day, and the Nantian Mun, or South Heaven Gate, that I would see on my third and last day on the island after visiting Puji Temple. I lingered at the huge lotus pond in front of Puji and gazed at the gorgeous Duobao, or Many Treasures, pagoda, before dining in one of the swankiest vegetarian restaurants I had seen in China, and I'd seen a few. Then a stroll back to my room for a good night's sleep. The next morning I visited the Nanhai Guanyin as described before, and then walked up to the parking area in front of Puji Temple, again, which is a hub for the island's shuttle buses. As I mentioned, only these and other work-related vehicles are allowed on the island. No private vehicles or even taxis. I boarded the shuttle that would take me to the north end of the island and the cable car for Huiji Temple. As I got off the bus, I noticed that a large temple was being built across the way on the south side of the island. Google Maps tells me it's finished now, and its name is Baotuojiang Temple. A cable car took me to the top of Foding, or Buddha Peak Hill, one of the island's highest points. Huiji Temple, Putoshan's third largest, was built here first as a pagoda with a Buddha inside sometime during the Ming Dynasty. In 1793, it was expanded into a larger complex, not unlike the one we see today. But the People's Liberation Army occupied the temple during the Cultural Revolution, and the Red Guard destroyed some of its halls. 
1978, the central government paved the way for the reactivation of the temple, and five years later it was placed on the list of 142 key temples in the Han Chinese area. Hence my visit. A short stroll from the cable car's upper station, a plaza opens out on the mountain, with souvenirs, snacks, and drinks for the weary traveler. A path leads down the mountain to the left, but forsaking that for the moment, I went right through a rather odd setup. One of the peculiarities of this temple is the series of walled corridors with 90-degree turns leading into it. It almost feels like some kind of defensive work. Huiji Temple, perhaps translated the Temple of Aiding Wisdom, has another peculiarity. It's the only major temple on the island that has the historical Buddha Shakyamuni as its main figure. Since this is Guanyin's island, the other temples feature that Bodhisattva of Compassion on their main altars. In keeping with the mountain's theme, though, this temple sports a separate Yuentong Hall dedicated to Guanyin. The public portion of the temple is quite small. There's an open area at the end of the alleys where people light incense and such. Then comes the typical Heavenly King's Hall with its usual six denizens, Maitreya or Mila Fo, the laughing Buddha in the center, back to back with the general Wei Tuo, then the four kings ranged around them. Next, a single courtyard with the Buddha Hall at the back, and the usual buildings along the side, a dining hall, a patriarch's hall, a dharma hall, and so on. What is intriguing, though, are the multiple small courtyards visible from the central one. An aerial view shows that the temple is actually much bigger than it seems, but the majority of the buildings are hidden behind the two public side wings. Its layout has been adapted to the lay of the land. These small courtyards provide access to the private portions of the temple. The temple backs on the hill's peak, north, over the top, and down the mountainside, visible from the lower end of the cable car, is a modern viewing tower called the 10,000 Buddha Treasure Tower, a pagoda. I didn't bother. Instead, I turned my feet southward, pausing at the plaza for a drink and a chat with an old man. I would learn that out in the countryside, older people loved to ask me my parents' age, expecting to top them. They never did. How old is your respected father, the drink seller asked. Eighty-seven, I replied. Oh, he said, looking disappointed. I'm seventy-two. With that, down the road I went. I have read that the poetically named Fragrant Cloud Road, probably a pilgrim's path up to the temple and looking as though it were designed for the self-explanatory three steps, one bow meditation technique, had a total of well over one thousand steps. I didn't count. But I was fascinated to see the many, many rocks with carved inscriptions along the way, best viewed by those going uphill. Some had clearly been intentionally damaged, but many were kept fresh with red or black paint. One of the most outstanding read in giant red characters, Sea, Sky, Buddha, Land, now a nickname for Putuoshan. It was inscribed by Ho Ji Gao, a Ming general and fighter of Japanese pirates, famed for writing a travelogue in 1588 about his visit to the island. Before terribly long, my aching knees took a rest in the Xiangyun Pavilion, where friendly monks often hang out to chat with visitors. Not far beyond that, I turned into the back gate of Fa Yu Temple, where several people tried to turn me back. After poking around a bit, I headed out the temple's front gate and discovered why the fuss. There's a fee to be paid. I did so and took a bus back to the Puji Temple area, where I walked wearily to my hotel. I would return to Fa Yu for a closer look the next afternoon, my final day on Putuoshan. And that's that. We'll continue my visit to Putuoshan next week. Until next time, may you and your loved ones and all sentient beings be well and happy. Adios, amigos.
Won't you check out the newsletter, which serves as the show notes for this episode, number 076, at templetales.substack.com? It has pictures and links, and at that address, you'll also find the archive with all of the newsletters. I really think you'll be glad you did. In the next episode, we continue our Japanese pilgrimage with a look at Kokawadera, east of Wakayama, number three of the Saigoku pilgrimage course. <laughs>